0: Uh, You might not have noticed, but on the back of your handout is a lot of text, and uh, these are scriptures. These are the scriptures in the book of John that mention the word glory. Uh, The word glory is kind of an important concept. I was going to say an important concept in the book of John, but glory is an important concept, period. I don't know if you've noticed it, but everyone is a glory hound. Human beings are glory oriented creatures. You know, dogs are not concerned about becoming famous well-known, having their greatness recognized. I know there's there's alpha dogs, but you know, you understand what I mean. Uh, human beings, I, I don't believe I've ever met a human being that wasn't interested in fame. And I don't mean needed to have fame themselves, but Fame is an important thing in society. Glory is an important thing. I also think, just off the top of my head, maybe you don't see it this way, but I also think we don't really know what it is. this thing, glory, that we're all very interested in. Um, It's kind of an interesting thing, actually. In this text that we're coming to today, John chapter 17, it is, if you have a Bible, you could just be in John 17, but also it's on the back side of this form. Oh, and this one's also on the front side. The text in red on the front of your handout is in the middle of what is known as the Great High Priestly Prayer of Jesus at the conclusion of the book of John. In fact, in the literary evaluation, John chapter 17 is a closing prayer to the book of John. It's uh, in many ways, you could regard it as a theological summary of the book of John. Uh, And so here is what all this means on the end of the book of John. Uh, And in this, we've already looked at this prayer, which began, which began the very first thing Jesus asks for in this prayer, is that the Father would glorify the Son. That's in verse two, or one, two, I think. And he says, his second prayer request is also a prayer request, though slightly different, that the Son, that the Father would glorify the Son. Well, Now, if we go on down to verse 22, which is where we've gotten to today, we read this, the the glory which you have given me, I have given to them. Well, we have to identify who they are. They are the disciples, the disciples that are in the room, and as Jesus has already mentioned in the... Previous text: The disciples that will be because of the word of these disciples. So that includes all the disciples of Jesus throughout the history of the church. This prayer is for them, and He says, "The glory which You've given Me, I have given to them." And it makes me stop and want to ask the question: What does it mean to be given? glory, it could mean at least a couple different things, just, you know, grammatically, uh, I give glory when I praise greatness. If I observe something great and say so, I give that thing glory. I glorify it. So, when our football team scores and we all stand up and yell, we are giving glory to our team. And we are somehow also sharing in it. Very strange thing it is. Well, the other sense in which someone might be given glory is uh, From the other end, and I think that's primarily what Jesus has in mind here, how has God the Father given glory to Jesus? Well, I think there is some of that admiration, you will read in the book of John, that God declares out loud, this is my beloved son. And he says to Jesus, I will glorify you. Um, But this is something like a sharing of greatness, uh, a making great in such a way that it's evident. Because here's the thing about glory. There's no glory in isolation can't be done there's no glory in any person alone because glory requires recognition in other words it's not glory until something is recognized and appreciated Glory is greatness appreciated and praised. So, glory always is between persons. There has to be a relationship for glory to exist. Now, we think wait a second, God is glorious in eternity to which I say, that is correct, and that is one of the ways in which we know that God is a plurality of persons. That there are three persons in God, because God is a mutual enjoyment, a mutual admiration and praise of greatness. So God is great, and God is praise, even if God never makes anything. There's a a mutual enjoyment, satisfaction, praise of the greatness of God between the persons of God that is eternal. Uh, But here, what we read is the glory which the Father has given to Jesus Either Jesus the man, or Jesus the eternal Son, or Jesus the man, the eternal Son made flesh. What glory has the Father given the Son? That is an important question if we're going to understand. What glory is the Son sharing with us? Because it's the same. It's the glory He's received that He's giving. So, I thought, well, it would be interesting to read the book of John and read about the, the glory in the book of John. So that's what we've got here. <clears throat> and then I've got nine different statements that I'm making about it. I this You can see that these statements are printed in red. And what that usually means on my handout is Originally, I didn't intend to print these out for you. <laughs> these are my talking points. and You're going to have to fill them in yourself. And then I thought, oh, well, that's pretty complicated. So uh, I'm just giving it to you for free. Are you happy? Uh, uh, what, what is this glory? Well, in John, in John chapter one, It's really only the second thing mentioned about Jesus in the book of John. The first is that he's the eternal Word of God. And the the Word of God, when we say he's the eternal Word of God, we mean that he is God, and he is the agent of all of God's will. (laughs) He is the creator, uh, the instrument of creation among the three persons of the Trinity. He's God and he's with God, and he's the executive of God in creation. Well, then we read this in chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay, so the Eternal One was incarnated as a man and lived among us. And we have seen his glory. glory as of the only son from the father and the theology in the book of John we could write three or four books about this verse he's the word made flesh among us we've seen his glory Now, it's a really good question to ask. How did we see his glory? You know, in the Old Testament, the expectation of the vision of the glory of God is the expectation of something like being burned alive. Isaiah sees the glory of God and he's like, get me out of here. We've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son, the the only begotten of God, the precious Son. The well, now we have to talk about the the Trinity and the way we say this in the classical uh, creeds is begotten, not made. He eternally proceeds from the Father. And that's all in the only Son, from the Father. And of course, in the book of John, this gets repeated over and over and over. Jesus talks about being the one sent from the Father. Full of grace and truth. Full. Wow, this is a lot. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, we've seen His glory. The incarnation is number one, the incarnation of the Word, revealing the grace and truth of God. In other words, God is full of grace and truth. If God just tells the truth about you, you are in deep trouble but if he's also full of grace, that is a great and glorious reality to be enjoyed, to be celebrated and rejoiced in. He's he's not just your judge full of truth. He's also your savior full of grace. And the son delivers this But it doesn't just belong to the Son. It's the glory given to the Son by the Father to be full of grace and truth, to be the actual living revelation of God so that at the end of the book of John, Jesus can look someone straight in the eye and say, if you've seen me, you've seen him. So, this is the glory from the Father to the Son in the book of John. Well, in verse, in chapter 2, oh, sorry, I've got to read the rest of this. From 14, uh, the Word became flesh, dwelt among us. We've seen His glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him, cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me, ranks before me, because he was before me. (laughs) For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. What is his fullness? Full of grace and truth. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. If you want to know what God's standard is, you get that from Moses. If you want to know how on earth can we bear up under that standard, grace and truth are from Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. Oh, so this is, again, that same word, begotten. The one and only, the, be, the only begotten in the old translation. The only begotten God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. How do we see God? How does any creature see God? The answer is in the word of God made flesh, the Son. This chapter 2 then we read, this is the first of his signs. This was the sign of the changing water into wine. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Jesus does something that... Can't be done. He manifests his glory, his, his uh, prerogative of creation. He creates wine out of water. And that manifests his glory. Then we come down in chapter 7. middle of chapter 7 and this question comes up about Jesus he says how is it that this man has learning when he's never studied <laughs> how do they know he's never studied because they run all the schools how do, he's, he's never studied but he's clearly powerfully engaged in the intellectual conversation of the day. So Jesus answered them, well, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he'll know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him, there is no falsehood. So he's still full of truth. Uh, And what we're saying, what we might notice here is, Jesus is not seeking his own glory, he says. He's seeking the glory of him who sent him. In chapter 8, then we read, who do you make yourself out to be? (laughs) Jesus made some claim regarding Abraham, I think. They say, "Who who are you claiming to be? And Jesus said, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. Now that is a pretty clear answer to the question. I'm the son of God. But you don't know him. You have not known him. I know him. If I were to say to you that I don't know him, I would be a liar like you. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Uh, But I do know him and I keep his word. Mm, That might be an important. He is his word and he keeps his word. And this is wrapped up in the father glorifying him. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not even 50 and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. You probably remember what the next verse says they picked up stone yeah they were okay you are done because that is a clear claim of divinity before Abraham was I am he already said my father is the one you call God here we have the father glorifying the son Wow. well, what we saw already in the previous text was the teaching of Jesus is the teaching of God, the Father. So Jesus is carrying out this this uh, Word of God function. He's the living expression of God Almighty. He's the, the well, the Word made flesh. And he's, he is the word, he speaks the word, and he keeps the word so far. In chapter 11, <clears throat> oh, sorry, we, I guess we want to stop there and uh, point out number two and number three on the front. What glory has the Father given the Son? What does it mean to be given glory? Well, Jesus is, number one, the incarnation of the Word. And number two, he seeks the glory of the one who sent him. He doesn't speak for himself. He doesn't act for himself or on his own initiative. But number three, he comes from and is sent by the Father. If glory is greatness observed, appreciated, and praised, How does God glorify himself? He makes himself visible. How does God make himself visible? The incarnation of the eternal son in the man Jesus. That's how. (coughs) So then we come to the story of Lazarus. In chapter 11, you could read the whole story. I've just pulled out a few verses. When Jesus first hears that Lazarus has died, well, I'm sorry, that Lazarus is sick, he says, this illness does not lead to death. What? This illness did lead to death interesting Jesus says this illness does not lead to death it is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it here's why Lazarus is sick <laughs> so that the son of God might be glorified hmm why I'm sick sometimes. Well, anyway, Jesus said to her, this is skipping down a bit in the chapter. I meant to have a separate paragraph here. Jesus said to her, he's speaking to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Later on, Jesus said to her, Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? All of this is leading up to the raising of Lazarus. So Jesus says to Lazarus, this is in verse 43, Lazarus come out, and Lazarus comes out that's verse 44 the man who had died came out his hands and feet bound with linen straps his face wrapped with a cloth Jesus said to them unbind him and let him go <coughs> many of the Jews therefore who had come with Mary to and had seen what he did believed in him and some of them went to the Pharisees I'm sorry but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done as though Jesus had done something bad. This miracle of the raising of Lazarus divided the audience. Some people who saw it said, oh, what, well, what Martha said. We believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, coming into the world. Some of them believed, some of them saw this guy raise Lazarus from the dead and decided that was something they needed to report to the authorities. Like the Pharisees are going to want to know about this. And you know what the Pharisees did when they found out about it. They threw Lazarus out of the synagogue. Jesus said in a parable... A parable, the character in which he named he named Lazarus. Lazarus and the rich guy die or go where they go. <clears throat> and the rich guy says, Send Lazarus back to tell my brothers. And the response from God is. Even if someone is raised from the dead, they will not believe. People are divided by the glory of God, the resurrection of Lazarus. And of course, the resurrection of Lazarus is serving in the book of John to identify Jesus, I am the resurrection and the life. In me, people are alive. Apart from me, people are dead and dying. (coughs) Uh, So, number four, I am the resurrection and the life. How does this glory of Jesus come to us? Well, he says it in John, chapter 6, among other places, I will raise him up in the last day. The resurrection is a thing shared. So, I am the resurrection and the life. I think you'd have to conclude then that the glorification of the Son, this is number 5, involves the death and resurrection of Well, let's keep reading. On the last day of the peace, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, this is from chapter 7, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. One of the things you discover as you read the book of John for the glory is there's a moment. Jesus is like, not yet, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. You see this in chapter 12, verse 16. This next text. His disciples didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done in him. A little later, in chapter 12, we read this. The hour has come. What hour? That that expression, the hour, has been used repeatedly in the book of John before this. Not yet, not yet, not yet. Here, the hour has come. What is the hour? The hour for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life, loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there will my servant be also. Oh, So the followers of Jesus are getting wrapped up into this too. If, uh, sorry, I lost my place. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. Wait a second. You just said this is the hour for the Son of Man to be glorified. We don't normally think of glorify, being glorified as a trouble. Jesus says the hour has come for me to be glorified. My soul is troubled. Why? What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? What hour is that? The hour of his glorification. And he's saying, that's something I might want to be saved from. Odd. (laughs) Father save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then the voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Hmm, what is this hour? Chapter 13, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified, and God is glorified in him. God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I'm with you. Well, yet a little while I am with you, you'll seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I'm going, you can't come. We read at the beginning of chapter 17, right here, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Same hour. Glorify your son, that that the son may glorify you. Since you've given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you. Who is it so far that knows the father? Only the son. This is eternal life. So he says, This is eternal life, that they may know you. Sorry, I gotta find my place. The only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. We're gonna say verse 5 for a minute. What is the power of the glory of Christ? Well, that's what Jesus was referring to when he talked to Nicodemus back in chapter three. and He said, just as the serpent was lifted up, so the son of man will be lifted up. The cross is where everything comes together. It's where everything comes together. It is the only thing that makes sense out of anything. The cross of Christ. When Christ is simultaneously totally humiliated and glorified all at once. In the very same act. You see, the great glory of God is the humility of Christ. It is the exact opposite of what anyone would expect. It's this heroic humility that is so glorious. But of course, that's not the end of the story. Jesus just doesn't die. He's also raised. So he says in verse five of chapter 17, and now Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before, before what, before I came? No, before the world existed. Jesus is the eternal son of God. And so when he's praying that God will glorify him with that glory, He's talking about not just his death and resurrection, which is mighty and glorious, but also his ascension, his coronation, what you read in Philippians 2. God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, the man, Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, God is glorified in the glorification of the Son, which is His, His total humiliation among human beings, which is His heroic, glorious sacrifice, His resurrection, His ascension, His Coronation is sitting down at the right hand of Majesty on high. All of that, his promised return, we might add, is eternal rule. Jesus Christ is Lord. Oh, it's. I mean, yeah, we, it's hard to get a hold of this stuff. But what we're noticing here, if we ask the question, how does the Father give glory to the Son? We're answering the question now. The glorification of the Son by the Father involves the death, resurrection, ascension, and coronation of the Son. That's how. Okay, now I'm going to have to wrap this up because we're out of time here. But uh, I want to encourage you to go up through and read the rest of this. Uh, I mean, these texts are just—it's—it's it's like the the stuff all Christian theology is made out of. Well, the Son completely trusts himself to the Father that glorifies the Father. That's the Son giving glory to the Father by saying, I will go all the way to the point of dying, dying on the cross, because God is good and I completely trust in it and in Him and in the plan we have together for the redemption of humanity. The Father is glorified in the Son. We can read about this Later on in these chapters, when the Son's disciples ask in the Son's name, this is all in chapter 14. Jesus says to the disciples, whatever you ask in my name, I'll give it to you. And this is for the glory of God. He says, uh, whatever you ask, this is fourteen thirteen. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified. In the Son. Not in you, but in the Son. So when Jesus answers your prayers, the Father's glorified in Jesus. This is all very wrapped up in the relational fellowship of these persons. Okay, so then he says, if you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I believe he dwells with them in the presence of Jesus and will be in them. Wow. So... <clears throat> The Lord is glorified when we pray, and He answers. And especially, especially when what we're praying for is whatever we need to demonstrate His love. Did you, did you hear that? whoever loves me will keep my commandments and by the way this is all in the context of a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you not just any old ordinary kind of love but this kind oh wait a second uh oh uh oh Has it started to dawn on you yet what sharing in the glory of Christ means? The glory that the Father gave Him, He gave us. You see where it goes, this glory? It's glorious humility. It's the, it's the glorious desire to demonstrate His love, which is sacrificial. Now, our demonstration of His love doesn't atone for anyone's sins, but it might help people see His atonement for their sins. The courage required for this, we notice in point eight, is provided by the Spirit, who will be the helper, that will be the helper that Jesus has been while he's been here, but this Spirit will now be in you for this purpose. The demonstration of the nature of God in human society, (laughs) which will be divisive, and some people will see that demonstration and go, wow, that is great. God is good. God is full of grace and truth and I can see it in his people. God is full of love and I can see it in his people. And some will look at it and go, well, that's not for me. I'm happy if you're, if it's, it helps you. Though someone be raised from the dead. Well, our sharing in glory also involves bearing fruit. This is in chapter 15, the vine and the branches. Would you abide in me? Let's find the glory there, chapter 15. I'm trying to hurry here. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done. Oh, that sounds like what he already said in chapter 14. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples in other words he's not saying hey I'm not I'm suspicious of whether you're my disciples so prove it he's just saying this is how it comes out this is how it shows as the father has loved me so I've loved you abide in my love you keep my commandments you'll abide in my love Keeping my commandments is knowing and expressing the love of God in Christ. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this than someone, you know, up until now this sounded good. It's all love. Who could complain? And then he tells us what love is. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. This love is sacrificial. This love elevates others, humbles itself. That's what we read about in 1 Corinthians 13. It's Uh, It's great and glorious, and to be sought. But this is not our regular human, unredeemed way of seeking glory. We don't seek glory for ourselves. We find glory by not looking for it, by humility and service, by expressions of the love we receive. So we bear fruit. This glorifies God. This is this sharing in glory is a fruitful spiritual connection to God, a fellowship with God that shows out in a person's personhood, that having been transformed by the assurance of God's grace I become gracious it's about loving one another which is about laying down one's life it's adopting his agenda as our own just as Christ completely adopted the Father's agenda it's provided by the Father in the name of the Son this fruit Where's, where's the fruit come from? Well, uh, You can read about this in 2nd Corinthians. It, it might be 1st Corinthians, early chapters where Paul says, you know, some people say, I'm a Paul, I'm a Apollos, I'm a Peter. And then some people say, I'm Jesus. That's how they say it, by the way. Well, I'm Jesus. And Paul's saying, look, who, who the worker is isn't significant here. The, I planted Paul's water but God gives the increase fruit comes from God in the name of the son by the working of the spirit in the in the one who is abiding in the vine. now before we stop I have to get to the point of all this Glory is the life of one exhibited in another. It necessarily is in fellowship. There's no glory if there's no fellowship. If there's no personal, person to person relationship connection, spiritual connection. For glory to happen, that has to be. And it's built into the nature of things, so that's not too much of a word. But what is it for? Jesus says, the glory which you've given me, I've given to them. Why? That they may be one, just as we are one. Now that is the prayer request from last time. He's already been praying for that, that the unity of the triune God would be extended to those God the Father has given to God the Son. Union. In this prayer, I think I would venture to say that the unity of God and his people is the highest priority. Perfect, he says, I in them, you in me, that they may be perfected in unity. So that the world may know. Oh, so there's a purpose beyond that purpose. So that the world may know that you sent me. Loved them even as you have loved them. These comparisons just blow my mind. God the Father has loved you and I as he has loved his eternal son. The love he has, the love between the persons of the Trinity is the love with which we are loved. The eternal covenant of our redemption is in the character of God and flows out to us in the person of Jesus. The glory which you've given me, I give you. This is just stunning, like how is it possible that we can be one like the eternal triune God is one, and yet that's what's prayed for in this prayer. I wonder if the Father will say yes in response to this prayer. I think he will. And what we experience even now in the life of the church is beginning of this beginning of this the love of Christ which is the love of the father for Christ spiritually imparted to us the scripture says that God poured out his love in our hearts by giving us the spirit So we have the Spirit, so we have this. Uh, Let us abide in the Vine so that we become uh, more absorbed by these things. And so that this glory that's been imparted to us shines. Shines. And so that we see it in our fellowship together, in our fellowship with Him, of course, then in our fellowship together, and then in our life in the world, where we become the same sort of crazy humble that Jesus is. It's a magnificent thing. It is... uh, Glorious. Father, thank you for this truth. It's really hard to wrap our heads around it, Lord, but uh, we know that you are operating for us, in us, through us. Lord, help us to abide, help us to pay attention to absorb this. Not just in our minds, but also in our hearts, to really be changed and moved in our very character by Your amazing grace. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.